Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 31. Welcome to EntrepreneurOnFire.com, where remarkable entrepreneurs share their inspiring story. Let their journey illuminate your path to success. And now, your host, John Dumas. Fire Nation, we are building an incredible community at EntrepreneurOnFire.com. If you're starting or running a business, you simply have to check out the free resources we have for you. Also, every interviewee has their own dedicated page with a full recap and contact info. Come join our awesome community at eofire.com and reach out to me with any questions or suggestions you have. Entrepreneuronfire.com was created for you, so come on over and help make it stronger. And now, give it up for our five-star reviews, Ran Whitehead, Matthew Benglinger, Gabrielle Norton, MS Design Pro, Jan Mac 27 Ryan Kellogg, and Jamie Wine. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and I look forward to thanking everyone who does the same. Okay, let's get started. I am simply overjoyed to introduce my guest today, Doug Steenstra. Doug, are you prepared to ignite? Yeah, John, I am prepared to ignite. (laughs) Nice. Doug is the CEO and founder of Flash Pals, which all started when Doug's girlfriend wanted a cute flash drive for her birthday. Entrepreneur Magazine featured this product in July and only added to this interesting ride that Doug is currently on. Doug, I've given a little overview of your business. Why don't you tell us a little more about who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. I grew up actually in Iowa, it's small town Iowa, and um, always kind of wanted to get out, see the world, and go to different places, and have always had this urge to uh, create something. Just I wanted to leave something tangible um, behind in some way, and I guess... Um, I eventually came up with this after a while and created the Flash Bells line, and that's kind of my first uh, big project I'm really working on, and uh, been pretty passionate about it, and, and try to incorporate it with other interests I have as well, such as um, the big animal lover. I've um, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be the crocodile hunter. I'd go around chasing snakes in my backyard and. Um, <laughs> collecting them. And um, so this has been just a fun journey, a great opportunity for me to incorporate that passion into my business. And um, yeah, it's been fun. It does seem like it was quite a journey. And I really look forward to getting into that later in this interview. But before then, let's transition into our first topic, which is the success quote. At Entrepreneur on Fire, we always start our shows off with our guest favorite success quote. It's our way of getting the motivational ball rolling and getting people pumped up and excited for the rest of the content. So, Doug, what do you have for us today? Uh, Sure. Yeah, there's kind of two combined that I've really, really lived by. And first is uh, it's so simple, possibly cliche, but I've always lived by if there is a will, there is a way. And uh, the others do what you can with what you have where you are. And that's simply just taking whatever few resources you have and doing something with them because everybody has resources to um, produce extraordinary output. And uh, we 
live in this country where we have almost unlimited and overwhelming amount of resources. And um, with the combined resources and um, knowledge of people that I know, it's, I'm convinced that I can literally do just about anything. You can, if you don't know it, you can learn it. Um, there's always a way. So that's what I kind of live by. It is so true. And it's so incredible how as the years go on and the internet continues to develop that it's not even just America that has access to all of these different informational products and ideas, but it's the world. Because anybody now that can get on Google can, for all intents and purposes, answer any question they may have. And that is just a really exciting time. And it's really leveling the playing field, which is going to make things very interesting. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. It's really leveled the playing field, giving uh, just about anybody the resources to try to do a little entrepreneurial project, project where it wasn't always like that in the past. So, Doug, can we attribute those two quotes to anybody particular? Honestly, I do not know where they came from initially. Um, that is not a problem because using the is. power of Google... In the show notes, I will have links to who actually is at least credited with saying those words because... Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect example. Yeah. Perfect example. Now, let's break down that first quote. Not too much, but let's get into it real quick. And how do you apply that first quote to your everyday life? If there's a will, there's a way. Well, um, just about in every single realm of my life from what I want to learn, uh, university, where I want to go, and uh, what I want to produce. So I've, um, I'm, I've always been very passionate about learning and just had this insatiable desire to know the world and just understand everything around me. So that's the first thing. I, if I want to know something, I find a book and I figure it out. That's pretty simple. You know, you go to the library or go to Google. There's lots of options for that. If I want to go somewhere, I, um, I try to make sure there's a way to, to make it happen. Even if there's, you don't need a huge budget to travel the world, like a lot of people might think. There's not sure if you've heard of couch surfing or um, there's this great online community for basically you can stay uh, for free in different people's houses around the world. So even if you don't have the resource to pay for a nice hotel somewhere abroad, you can meet great locals and just stay on their couch. So that's been a huge way for me. I'm a huge, huge traveler. I love uh, going new places. So um, yeah, I think those are some of the biggest ways that I've incorporated into my life. I went to Brazil, um, studied abroad there for two years. And Brazil's a country just full of bureaucracy and so much red tape to cut through. Uh, you had to get a visa and then get into, into their schooling system. And I did that all on my own instead of going through an established program uh, because it'd give me much more freedom. And um, it, it took a lot of research to figure out what are all of those steps that need to be crossed. But... Um, figure it out. You know, there's, there's a will, there's a way. And that's kind of what I live by. Good tie-in. And now let's go over the second quote. Do what you can with what you have, where you are. Um, that's almost saying the exact same. It's pretty much, that's why I put the two together. They uh, both kind of communicate that same idea of 
if there's a will, there's a way. This is telling you how to do it. it. Do what you can with what you have where you are. You have something. Do something with that something instead of complaining about um, not having the money or the resources to accomplish something. Just look around at what you do have. Start there and then figure out how you can connect that with whatever goals you have. So let's transition now into our next topic, and that's failure. Because as an entrepreneur, there's one thing that is absolutely relevant in all of our journeys, and that's failure. Because we've experienced it in some way, shape, or form. It can either be as an obstacle, a challenge, or just an outright failure that we've encountered along the way. And those of us that are able to not let that failure define us, but allow it to teach us and move us in different directions, are the entrepreneurs who are really successful. Doug, have you had a failure or an obstacle or challenge that you've encountered at some point in your journey? And if so, how did you react to that? Uh, Yes, John, I have actually uh, faced failure throughout this journey, like just about every entrepreneur I can imagine. And for me, it was mostly involved with uh, people I've dealt with. And I, uh, when I get into uh, making a project and executing on that and then collaborating, collaborating with somebody, it makes me very excited. And I bec- I'm just a very optimistic person, as you can tell, even with my quotes. I always assume everything's going to work out which um, can leave to lead to certain moments where I assume everything is going to work out with uh, a certain person who we're going to establish some either uh, a partnership or a contract, a deal, whatever it is, and then it doesn't work out or the person was trying to uh, take advantage of me. And that's something that I've definitely uh, become more aware of and had to deal with a, a couple times and it hasn't hurt me tremendously. And overall, I would say that being optimistic and assuming the best out of people has by far helped much more than uh, harmed me in any way because it opens the door to so many opportunities, assuming that just about every person around me could add some potential benefit to my uh, project in some way. But then you're going to have those times where the person isn't necessarily trying to help you. So, Well, let's take that down to the ground level. Have you had a failure or a challenge in this area that you would like to share with us? Um, let's see. I have actually. Um, I was working. Um, I was starting to get into like a type of partnership with somebody and it didn't completely work out and we had worked for a while together and I I guess from the beginning you need to talk uh, numbers from the beginning you need to lay down all of the basically the terms of whatever contract you're going to establish between each other because if you keep saying oh we'll figure it out we'll figure it out and working together in the meantime eventually once it comes down to the thing that matters to most people is who's getting what percent. That's when it gets kind of, um, that's when it become a bit more complicated. And what so, ended up happening in this scenario? In this scenario, um, I actually teamed up with somebody and expected, and it sounded like the best 
thing in the world for me. I would, it's so nice having a partner, somebody to work with. And as we continued moving forward, it continued to seem good. And we kept kind of put, putting off our, our um, equity agreement. There's going to be some type of share. And um, in the end, we uh, could not agree on the numbers. I had been working on this project for a few years now, and I wasn't ready just to give away a bunch of my company. And I guess we just couldn't see eye to eye there. So I had to walk away from it and kind of it put a lot on my shoulders because we were already to a point where he was doing some of the work and I was doing some of the work. And that's what I kind of had to deal with afterwards is how to proceed from there. So in 30 seconds, how, how would you say you learned from this failure? What was a lesson that you really pulled from this experience? A lesson that I pulled from it, I would say um, just be straightforward. Don't beat around the bush and just communicate the essentials from the beginning between somebody. Because if you assume that this uh, other person you're dealing with is seeing eye to eye with you, there's a good chance they're not. So just make sure everything's straightforward from the beginning and then continue to deal with them. Great. So communication is key. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's transition into our next topic now, and let's kind of get into a brighter side of being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur, every day is a new day, and we have these little light bulbs that come on as we're moving forward, and they help inspire us and move us forward. And we just really see the door opening as we're understanding more and more about our clients, about our own business, about our marketing, and we're getting feedback, and it's a great circular motion. Doug, have you had an aha moment where this light bulb came on and you just said, wow, this is something that is going to be awesome. This is what I want to do. This is going to resonate extremely well with potential clients. What was that moment? Um, honestly, John, I've actually experienced a series of uh, aha moments. I It's hard to pinpoint just one particular moment, but I can... It it all started as the as you said in the beginning when when my girlfriend had she asked me for a cute flash drive for her birthday, and my first aha moment was when I started looking for a cute flash drive. Which uh, you look at the the size of the market of who uses a flash drive. It's huge. Just about everybody who owns a computer owns a flash drive. And I'm looking around and and I just did not understand why is there no personality put into flash drives? Why isn't there anything cute and cuddly? You, there's so much potential with this one device. And um, after I purchased something for her and it was did not live up to cute expectations by any standard, and I, that's when I decided to start making my own. And, and from there, it was just a series of more aha moments. At that point, I, I just made a few for her and her friends liked them too and quite a few other people started to like it and that's when the next aha moment came was when I noticed she was not the only one that really liked this product quite a few other people did as well and then 
that's probably when I really started to look into this. And from there, it just continued to make more and more sense. I started to think of all of the possibilities with this. And um, I was using plush animals for the product. And I'm a huge animal lover. So again, made sense. And I, it was something I could easily be passionate about. And um, I guess finally, I uh, was working at an elementary school as a paraeducator. And I realized that kids need flash drives for school. And that was probably the biggest one when I started to consider the back to school market and how many kids nationwide need a flash drive for school. Uh, at that point, there was no turning back. It was just way too obvious. I totally remember the flash drives and what their uses were. I was a big user of one. I personally am 32 years old and very active online and with computers. And I just don't really have what I see as a need for a flash drive for what I do was with what I guess is a lot of cloud computing and a lot of storage and the, again, quote unquote cloud. Obviously, you were getting a lot of this kind of feedback from people when you were sure. moving forward with flash drives, but you kept your head down. You saw that there was a community out there that wanted this and you move forward and you made a product that obviously a lot of people want and a lot of people use. So what was your response when people came at you and said, Doug, don't you see where the future is going? It's all going into the cloud. Why is somebody going to want to carry a flash drive around when obviously they could just go into the cloud and pull everything out from a Dropbox or from Amazon S3? What was your response to that? Sure. That's a, that's a great question, actually. And I have been asked that people, a lot more people are using the cloud. Um, however, while people continue to use the cloud more, flash drive, the flash drive market is not diminishing at all. It is continuing to increase. And like you said, you don't use a flash drive much at this point. You use the cloud for the most part. You have a flash drive, I do not currently own one. I definitely used one probably as recently as seven or eight years ago, but I really haven't had the need since then. But again, to fully more state my situation, I'm normally in front of one computer all day. I'm not particularly moving from one location to another, as I can see students doing from home to school right, right. and back again. Right. And, and actually, it's kind of funny you answered that way because... Uh, Almost everybody I ask says yes. So, John, that was the wrong answer. The, <laughs> just, you're supposed to have a flash drive at least. Almost everybody that I talk to, whether they use the cloud or don't use the, the cloud, they still need a flash drive for some certain um, scenarios. So, um, yeah, people continue to buy flash drives. They continue to sell, and especially this younger demographic, it's more of a as computer use has expanded, more uh, unexpected users are more commonly using the computer. So you have lots of mom bloggers now, and you have kids who are using computers and becoming more tech savvy. And my target demographic is less this super tech, tech savvy computer user who is trying to get rid of these extra components, just throw everything in the cloud. Um, it's more the mainstream computer users still relies on this uh, technology. And 
quite a few people simply do not trust the cloud. They don't like the idea of having their files floating around somewhere. Even the name cloud just implies something that could just fade away. And I've talked to so many people who see that as a, a real concern. And it's for my own uses, I feel much more comfortable plugging in a flash. It's so much quicker and easier for me. You plug it in, toss the files on there, and I can get to the print shop wherever I need to go. And it's just super convenient for me. There's something about holding them in your hands. And yeah, I, I think that it's going to continue to expand. Well, what I love about what you did is that you didn't listen to the critics that were coming at you and saying, hey, this is where the industry's moving. Why are you trying to hang on to a quote-unquote dinosaur? You definitely targeted your niche. You really got your unique selling point down. Again, even myself at 32 in a male, if I was going to get a flash drive, would I really get one that's all cute and fuzzy anyways? Probably not. So I'm just not your, your target, and that's a great thing to know because why would you waste time, effort, and money going after somebody like myself who is tech savvy, who uses the cloud, who even if they were going to go with a flash drive, would not go with a flash pal. So what I am... Right. And what I'm consistently telling you know, our listeners and our audience and just future entrepreneurs is that one of the key things you need to do early on is identify your niche, identify your unique selling point, and then sell to that. Because if you're trying to please everybody you're going to please nobody. And that's a very famous Bill Cosby quote was, I don't know what the secret to success is, but I know the secret to failure is trying to please everybody. That's a very good point. And that's something from the beginning, this has been a journey of trying to narrow down that demographic more and more. And when I first started it, I thought everybody was my demographic, which made it very difficult to market. That's how everybody starts, Doug. <laughs> exactly. I want to sell to everybody. There's billions of people. Yeah, that just seems so obvious to me. Okay, the flash drive market is huge, and okay, I'll just market towards everybody. But then as I got some of these um, concerns about the, the cloud, that made it so much easier, actually, and it has by far helped more than anything. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed kind of wargaming this with you. I really hadn't sat down and thought about your target demographic before this interview, but just hearing you talk of it is just all of these issues and positives are just bubbling to the surface, and I'm really glad we've gotten the chance to kind of hash it over real time. I think that this is very helpful to people who are listening and are potentially creating their USP right now that they can learn from you that, listen, there is no reason that you need to try to sell to everybody. You need to figure out who your target demographic is, who your target market is, and then get that niche narrowed down and sell because there are still plenty of people within your target demographic. There is no doubt about that. Exactly, exactly. A niche makes it much, much easier. Otherwise, you're just going to be uh, kind of fishing in the masses. You don't know who's going to bite or not, and that's much more difficult than finding that small group who you know will be interested in this. And it's much easier for them to share that enthusiasm that you have for the project you're working on. Here's a quick random note. And I don't really know, obviously, what your profit margins are, 
with Flash Pals and how much it costs for you to make one and how much you sell them for. I don't know those exact numbers. So my question may not actually apply to you, but do you use Facebook advertising for any Flash Pals? I don't formally use Facebook advertising, but I do use Facebook and other social media. Um, Towards the beginning stages, when I had just come up with the idea, I did use a little bit of Facebook advertising, but more for market testing purposes. I could see which keywords um, or interests that people had, um, which uh, ones were most popular among uh, people who like flash pills. And for the most part, I use Facebook for... I have a fan page, which you can go on it right now and like it if you'd like to check it out. And there's some pretty cool things we do on there, try to keep everybody updated. And I think that's the best way to use Facebook is to just try build this audience and this fan base who they really want to know what's going on with your company, different developments, when a new product line comes out, uh, promotional discounts, all that stuff. And then just some random fun information too. Don't keep it all promotional. I throw a lot of random, fun, wild animal facts on there as well uh, because I found a lot of my demographic happens to really like animals. So I've really kind of targeted that niche as well. And um, it's allowed me to not only just talk about flash pills all the time, but it's completely relevant to my business to share some interesting fact about tigers or any other animal in the wild. No, that makes a lot of sense. And the reason why I brought up Facebook specifically is because we've recently had Amy Porterfield on the show and she's considered the Facebook queen by many. We were getting into Facebook ads and chatting about what was possible nowadays and what's so beautiful about having such a targeted demographic and such an understanding of your avatar. And by avatar, I mean your perfect clients for your product is that you can just be so specific with Facebook about who you want, about where your ad is showing up, on whose pages your ad is actually appearing. So for instance, if Doug, you know that a perfect demographic for you are mothers between the ages of 31 and 34 who have two daughters that both play soccer you can literally get your Facebook ads to the narrow down point where it's only showing up on their pages. So you're not paying for clicks on people like myself who are like, oh yeah, I need a flash drive. Ooh, whoa, I would never get one that looks like a tiger. I'm out of here. And then you're paying for that on Google. But with Facebook, you're not because you're actually going to be having your ideal person seeing that ad and your ideal person only. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it is really effective to use Facebook advertising. And um, I do intend on using it more for that purpose as I'm narrowing down this demographic more and more. It simply uh, makes sense because it's less of a waste of advertising to this giant crowd who most people aren't going to pick up on it. We're at now the five minutes left in this interview, Mark, and it's pretty disappointing because I could continue to rap about this for a while because I really love the theme that's come to the surface through this interview, which is target demographic and your unique selling proposition. Those are two such key things in every entrepreneur's business for them to identify as early as possible and to market to as early as possible. So 
I'm really glad that Flash Pals is just a great example of why that's so important to narrow down. That being said, we're going to move into the lightning round now. And this is my favorite part of the show. This is where I'm going to ask you, Doug, a series of questions, and you're going to come back with some answers that you think could really be relevant to our listeners. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. What was the number one thing that was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? For me, it was definitely just kind of a mix between my perfectionism and being obsessive about everything. Once I start a project, I get completely taken away by it and need to have it completely perfect before I execute. And that made it so, so easy for me to continue with that brainstorming process of making this idea bigger and bigger and bigger, putting it off, procrastinating it. Instead of just start small, something is better than nothing, create, execute, and then if it's not working, move on and try something else. It doesn't need to be perfect from the beginning, at least for myself, or I'll simply never do anything because I'll just keep brainstorming. Well, that too. And we never really know what our target demographic wants until we release something and start getting feedback. So the sooner you can get to the feedback stage, the sooner you're going to get to a good product. Exactly. I And I need to get there. And that was the big thing for me with this is just execute, make something happen, build a simple website. It doesn't need to be the best website ever with super expensive web designers. Just start. What is the best business advice you ever received? Uh, the best business advice I've ever received, I've heard it from a few different business and, and uh, professors, and it's fail quickly. And that's simply, it ties in very well with the last thing I said that held me back was failing very slowly, trying to figure out what's wrong and then tweak it, perfect it. And that just makes the process take way longer. Execute, if it's not right, move past it quickly. Don't wallow and try to spend a lot of time over that one issue. Just make the mistake and move on as fast as possible. Absolutely. The sooner you can fail, the sooner you can improve your product. And you really can't fail until your product hits your client base. So get it out there. Exactly. On that note, what's something that's working for you or your business right now? Uh, For me, I'm just at a stage where I have so many opportunities because I have gotten some very uh, nice publicity through the entrepreneur article and uh, a few different blogs have picked up on it and uh, that's definitely made it very easy for me to consider my options because I don't necessarily have to scope out the entire scene of different stores I should try to market this towards because the stores will just simply contact me which will make it much easier to do obviously so that's worked out very well for me later lately is uh, just being contacted by interested customers and even suppliers who might have that perfect little niche of um, part of my supply chain that I need. So it's made it easy so that I don't need to start that whole process from scratch and start scoping it out myself. So being featured in the premier entrepreneur magazine is what's working for you right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's helped out quite a bit, believe it or not. 
So what's the best business book that you've read in the last six months? Ooh, the best business book that I have read in the last six months. Um, I'm not sure how much of a business book it's considered or not. And I don't even know if it's respected too much in the business world. But uh, Timothy Ferris, I like his book, 4-Hour Workweek, quite a bit. He nails it on some pretty nice principles um, about productivity. And it just applied to me really well. Um, it talks about like the 80-20 principle, how 80% of your output will come from 20% of your input. And while I'm not sure how dead on he is with all the numbers, it's more of the general concept that's really made me aware of, okay, what is the meat of the work that I do that's really making the biggest difference? And um, yeah, I, I think it's a great book that everybody should check out. Well, to alleviate your fears, it is extremely respected in at least the entrepreneur world and is considered the Bible by most. Oh, great. I think, it, <laughs> I think there's a distinguish, you got to distinguish that it's greatly respected by entrepreneurs, but not necessarily so much the traditional business person. Or Which is not a bad thing. Right, exactly. We think somewhat differently, I think. So, Doug, this is the last question. It's my favorite, but it's kind of a tricky one. So you can take your time, let it digest, come back with an answer that you really feel is a good one for our listeners. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you still had all of the experience, knowledge, and money that you currently have right now, but everything about your business had completely disappeared, leaving you essentially with a clean slate, which is exactly where our listeners find themselves to a large degree. What would you do in the next seven days? All right. Well, that is kind of a tough question. You're right. <laughs> but I think uh, if I lost everything with this, it, but I still held on to the experience and everything that I learned from it. Uh, first, I, I wouldn't waste time on marketing to that massive market of the masses like we talked about and I would contact and get start building an audience within that niche immediately and uh, beyond that not just know who that target demographic is but start accumulating an audience a fan base provide some type of content to them even before the product line is out that is valuable so that when the product line does come out I can simply send them all an email or Facebook update, whatever it is, and I already have that audience ready to go. And I think that is a huge, huge hurdle that um, I've also found through this, uh, I'm doing a Kickstarter campaign right now to raise funds. And that's the number one thing they say before launching a Kickstarter campaign is have an established audience first. There's not just a bunch of investors sitting around on Kickstarter so much that just want to throw money at different projects. Build an audience who will be interested in that project that you're working on and then you can give them updates as you move along instead of first making all the progress and then, oh shoot, I don't have an audience, what do I do now? You gotta start with the audience. Great advice and Doug, you have throughout this entire interview given us some great actionable advice and we are all better for it. So listen, give Fire Nation one last piece of guidance, then give your Kickstarter campaign a plug, and then we'll say goodbye. I feel like I've pretty much just been saying the same 
different advice in different ways for the it's, most part. It's a good and, theme, though. We love it. But sure, yeah. It's ba- basically, that's just what's hit home for me so much is just uh, trying to move forward with this and simply executing, even if it's something small, it. Uh, Use the resources you have around you because you can do so much with so little. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Contact anybody and everybody who may have some valuable advice for you. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest ones that I might not have mentioned is uh, people and connections that you build along the way. With the combined knowledge of everybody around you, you can certainly find whatever missing piece of the puzzle is for that project you're working on. Somebody knows the right person and just start reaching out to people and moving forward. This whole thing has been a learning process. I had no idea how to start a business, how to run a business, anything when I began all this. But simply through Google books, asking people around, you kind of figure it out. All right, give us a plug for your Kickstarter campaign. Oh, and absolutely, yeah. Right now I am running a Kickstarter campaign to fund the production of the two flash bells that I have right now. They have been out of stock and I need about $2,500 to produce Jack the Giraffe and Xena the Zebra. And I also really, really would love to go above and beyond that goal so that I can bring more animals to market as well. Because so many people have asked me for a tiger or a, a monkey with a palatopus, some of the most random animals. And <laughs> I want so badly to make more of them. I'd love to continue teaming up with different wildlife organizations who will be helped through the sales of each of these animals and online donations, just promote these causes. And I need some money to make that happen. So please, please check out my Kickstarter campaign. Just search Flashpels on kickstarter.com or Google it, Flashpels Kickstarter. And we only have until September 16th and it is done. So still got a ways to go. So Wonderful. Well, we will definitely link all that up in the show notes. Doug, thank you so much again for your time and we'll catch you on the flip side. Awesome. Thanks a lot, John. Good talking to you. Fire Nation, thank you so much for joining us today. Are you interested in learning five ways to make $500 this month? How about five productivity tips that will help you today? Well, that and more is my free gift to you when you go to eofire.com and subscribe to Fire Nation. Lastly, for that entrepreneur ready to take it to the next level, visit ignitemastermind.com, join our elite mastermind community, and watch your business or business idea explode. Thank you for joining us at EntrepreneurOnFire.com, your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.